Welcome to CII Radio. I'm Christopher Shadforth, Communications Director for the Chartered Insurance Institute. In this episode, I'll be talking to Helen Phillips and Matt Connell. In this episode of the podcast, we're discussing theme three of the CII's new five-year strategic plan, Sector Thought Leadership. I'm joined by Helen Phillips, Independent Chair of the CII Board, and Dr. Matt Connell, Director of Policy and Public Affairs at the CII. Here's my conversation with Helen and Matt. Hello to you both. Hello, Helen. Hello, Chris. And hi, Matt. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining me today on today's podcast. So we're going to be talking about sector thought leadership today. This is theme three of the CII's five-year strategic plan. But first of all, Helen, I wanted to ask for your general thoughts on the strategy, and in particular, how important it is to you to have this document published and be working towards the goals that are in it. Yeah, well, I'm really delighted with the strategy, um, and I'm delighted with the response we've had to the strategy. And I know it's been a long time coming, Chris, um, but, you know, in many regards, I make no apologies for that because it was really important that we had a meaningful dialogue with our members. So this strategy comes on the back of a long period of engagement um, and consultation with members and a number of occasions we took further to the consultation to go back and check with members that the direction of travel, you know, sat comfortably and was a kind of approach that members could not only get behind, but be excited about in terms of the future direction of the Institute. So I'm delighted with the substance of the strategy. And of course, Chris, uh, sparing your blushes, a huge thank you to you and your team for the kind of presentation of it, because, um, you know, it's not only handbag sized in terms that you can carry a nice copy around with you quite easily, but I think it's really accessible in terms of the kind of, you know, layout and language and all of that. So thank you to you on that one. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much, Helen. Um, you were talking a little bit there. I think you've got, you, you're going to elaborate on some of the uh, your, your, your general thoughts on the plan. You were talking about the period of time to uh, the production and uh, publication of the plan. I guess you're referring to the uh, Shaping the Future Together consultation in part that was run in 2021 and then the results published in 2022. Absolutely. And this strategy is, in many regards, nothing other than the culmination of that process. Um, you know, and I think um, we, anybody who's been, you know, in any way involved with that will be able to see, I hope, the integrity with which the issues and themes that arose during the various conversations we had as part of that consultation have now followed through into the strategy and being, you know, set out in a way that we can kind of get behind as the direction of travel and our priorities between now and, uh, now and 2027. Fantastic. And thinking about sector thought leadership as part of that, I mean, this is one of the six themes that are in the document, and therefore it's a theme that we think has particular importance to our members. Perhaps can you elaborate on the need for it to be in there? I spent, it's, it's more than a need, isn't it? It's something that's absolutely critical. So perhaps if I start with you, Helen, and then I'll move on to you, Matt. 
Yeah, no, absolutely critical. And I'm not at all surprised that this was the theme and the strategy that I've been asked to um, speak to on the podcast, because I've kind of been a great uh, personal champion and advocate of all of this. And I suppose to tell you a little bit about why, I don't see sector thought leadership as a kind of end in itself. Sector thought leadership for me is a means to an end. So if you think about our six themes, you know, we want to be trusted professionals, which means having high professional standards. And in order to have high professional standards, uh, you know, we need world class learning to support high professional standards. And we want to deliver that in a way that's digital and modern and that creates excellent member experience all from an institute that's kind of shaped and fit for the future. Um, So sector thought leadership for me is one element of how it is we do that in the same way world class learning is an element of how it is we grow and maintain public trust and confidence in uh, general insurance and financial planning and indeed mortgage advice professionals. Um, If you kind of track back for a second to our kind of mission and our purpose and our vision, I think it becomes very obvious why thought leadership is so important. So the overarching purpose of the Institute is to educate and support our members and to deliver services um, to for our members rather to deliver services to the highest professional standards. And it's by doing that that they maintain and develop public trust and confidence in the in the professions. And within that kind of purpose, anybody who's a bit anarchy like me will know that the Royal Charter sets out seven distinct purposes for the Institute. And one of those distinct purposes is to collect and form a body of expert opinion on the law and practice relating to all things connected with insurance and financial planning. So our vision, therefore, is that the CII and PFS professionals build a world which delivers ever greater financial resilience and for individuals and society to have kind of more certainty and to have, you know, a, a better economic future for the for the country and countries we work in and for the individuals, um, you know, within those societies. And that's a very, very grand aspiration, but for me, not an unrealistic one. But it does mean that you need to be not only directly delivering things like education, but that you need to have influence on others. And thought leadership is the place, I think, where we get that real opportunity to have influence at scale. Because if you've got a kind of informed and a well-evidenced voice for the public working with and through our members to increase advocacy, that allows us to have influence in in shaping relevant legislation and policy decisions by government. It also means that we can work with others who are trying to affect change in the sector. And in order for that to happen, not only do we need to work with and through our members to have kind of, um, you know, cutting edge knowledge um, and well-evidenced arguments, but we need to be able to do so in a way that not only shapes, I suppose, the context in which our professionals are working now, but that we're partnering with people who are innovating for the future 
so that we're helping chart the path for our members in terms of, you know, where the where the sector is today and where it's going to be need to be over the next five to 10 years. So, you know, education and professional standards have a part to play in all of that. But that sort of scale of impact and potential influence on change by others in support of our members who in turn then can support high quality services that maintain public trust and confidence is all, I'm sorry to go on about it, but for me, I feel really passionate that that's kind of all absolutely in this theme three and at the heart of sector thought leadership. So a long answer, but um, huge potential to make a dramatic and meaningful difference for so many people. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Helen, and uh, really well said. And I think that gets to the heart of one of the sentences that we use in this particular theme is that we are uniquely placed to be able to influence others because we hold these relationships with other parties and because we are a membership organisation, because we provide world-class qualifications. Um, I think that really what you've summarised there goes to the heart of everything that we as an organisation are trying to achieve. Um, so, Matt, I mean, I mean, picking up on that then, I, we, we've clearly been listening to uh, what members want. How have we gone about that? And how is it that we know what uh, we're trying to deliver for our members and what they actually care about? Yeah, and it's, it's very much a piece of work that never ends. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly getting inspiration from um, from practitioners right across the financial services and, and insurance professions to find out what what they think and what where good practice lies in 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 every event as it as it as it develops. Um, Helen mentioned the uh, shaping the future consultation which we did, and we got a huge amount of fantastic material there about areas where where members were concerned uh, and, and wanted the CII to, to do more. And, and in particular, I think, to speak out about all the good practice that goes on in the sector, um, because I think what a lot of practitioners see is, is they see regulation that's maybe a bit of a cut and paste job, you know, that something that works in banking gets cut and pasted to insurance or something that works in, in the world of providers get cut and pasted to, to smaller firms, uh, like financial advice firms and, and brokers. Um, and what Policymakers don't always see is is the good practice that's going on um, amongst professionals in financial services and insurance, specifically for for clients and customers in in those markets, and um, that that can be far more far more powerful. So that's one really big theme that came through the consultation, and and more obviously that that wasn't just a, a one and done thing. We we listened to and work with um, practitioners all the time in, in the most sort of formal sense. We've got committees and we've got panels, for example, on the financial services side, the, the PFS board and the power panel. Uh, and then in the general insurance side, um, professional communities around broking and, and claims and, and underwriting. Uh, and that's absolutely invaluable for us because that's a, a regular conversation that, that we've got going with practitioners from small firms, large firms on the on the product side, on the advice side. Um, so we get a really wide range. And I think, again, you know, Chris, you mentioned as a, as a membership organization, that's really important as well, that, that we see um, not just one one part of the of, of the profession, um, but but the whole lot. So so if there's an issue around transparency, for example, we can talk um, not only to the product providers about what they're saying about their products, but we can talk to to people on the advice side about what what they see coming from the product providers in terms of the quality of the of the communication, but also 
um, learn about the importance of advice that can uh, underline uh, and, and and enhance um, what's being done on the on the transparency side. So we get a really holistic view of what's happening. And then just just quickly in 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 addition to that, that we have work of our new generation um, programs. So the volunteers who take part in those programs are always coming up with fantastic ideas, for example, around skills and sustainability and, and market developments that, that feed into the work uh, that we do. And also on an ad hoc basis, we involve practitioners in projects. So just recently, we've been doing a piece of work with the FCA on sustainability and, uh, and both on the uh, PFS side and the general insurance side, we've had practitioners taking part in uh, in, in meetings and, and roundtables again to feed in uh, where they see gaps uh, in 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 skills across the profession, uh, but also where the good practice lies that we need to be drawing from. Mm. I mean, you, you mentioned some of the things that are listed in the plan there, Matt. I mean, it, it included the new generation program, but we also included there the trailblazer apprenticeships that we had an involvement in in terms of developing, in terms of the, the advice that was provided around Brexit and COVID and, and some of the other activities where we've provided great thought leadership over the last few years. I mean, what are the things that really stand out for you over, over that period of time in terms of the areas that we've influenced? And, and then perhaps moving on into the future, where, where is the CII going to be focusing its energy over the, uh, the next uh, year or so? Yeah, so I guess just to take a, a couple of examples. So, for example, in lockdown, the FCA came to us uh, and, and asked us what, what we could do to facilitate or ideas that we could have about regulation to, to, to facilitate people getting advice through uh, through lockdown and, and through the, the pandemic. Um, and again, because of the work that we've done with, with practitioners, we were able to come up um, quite quickly with some ideas uh, about how things could could be done more effectively. For example, around rules around MIFID that weren't really helping um, either advisors or, or their clients uh, in terms of sort of when when information was was given about falls in the market, things like that. And and the FCA uh, removed some rules temporarily through lockdown, and, and since then the Treasury's confirmed that those rules are going to be removed permanently. And that that was an example of you know as Helen said, going back to our absolute core mission to uh, build public trust in financial services and, and insurance. Um, we saw a regulation that was actually undermining public trust by forcing advisors to give um, people information about falling markets at a time when perhaps they should have been staying put. And, and we were able to put the case you know, on evidence-based way to, to, to regulators to build a better alternative. And then equally on the, the general insurance side, um, we've been doing consumer research because more and more Retail customers now buy insurance through comparison websites or, or online um, without necessarily a direct uh, engagement with practitioners. And so there we've seen an opportunity to look at the consumer experience um, in, in a way that, that perhaps isn't being looked at because there, there isn't that kind of human involvement uh, in the way people buy and, and renew insurance that they did in the past. Um, and that's allowed us to, to keep track of what's happening with the cost of living crisis and uh, renewals of, of insurance uh, and to look at um, how, how, how the sector is doing and, and where it's doing a good job and where it needs to improve. So, for example, on the cost of living, um, we've been able to put out a, a good news message that consumers actually feel that they, they're getting uh, good value from, from, from insurance because 
you know, in a world where where prices are, are going all over the place in terms of energy and food with insurance, it's it's staying relatively steady. That good good risk management in, in the insurance sector is is showing through, and that's a good news story. Um, but equally, um, what we're seeing again in 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 terms of renewals. Is it still quite a complex process for for consumers to to renew their insurance and to really get one hundred percent assured that they're getting a a really good deal um, compared to with what what they get if they if they renewed it in a different way? And so that's an area where we can go back to practitioners and say, look, this is what this is what consumers are telling us that this is still an area where they'd like more reassurance, uh, and then we can work on ideas about what kind of assurance uh, the the profession as a whole can give uh, to make sure that. That, that consumers um, get feeling more more trustful towards uh, insurance and, and and really appreciating all the hard work that's being done for them. That's really really fascinating. Thank, thanks for that, Matt. And, and Helen, just coming back to you and thinking about the future as well. Uh, I mean, are there particular areas that you have in mind that uh, you're keen for the CII to be seen uh, at the forefront of leading the discussion over these next few months or years? I'd answer that in two ways. I think from the kind of consumer or customer perspective first, there are so many inequalities, aren't there, in society. And there's a real, really big unmet need, both in terms of insurance and in terms of financial advice. And if this sector is anything like the law, some of that unmet need is, you know, people who can't afford to um, access products or services or advice. But a very significant proportion of it is because of a lack of transparency. Um, and a lack of consumer empowerment, which means that people don't realise that for, you know, a relatively modest sum, they can really improve their, their, their financial lot or have better advice to make better decisions. So there's something, I think, about this whole area of thought leadership being aligned very closely with what is going to make the most significant inroads in terms of consumer empowerment. So that'll be kind of the first uh, lens through which I would answer your question. The second lens, I think for me, will be about being ahead of things for our members. So, I mean, I think if we were to examine our conscience, I'm not sure we could quite say that we were ahead of things or as far ahead maybe of things as we would like to have been around consumer duty. And I think, you know, the sector has been served well by others who've stepped into the place of advising, for instance, on compliance or good practice around consumer duty. But I think there's probably quite a distance to go about good practice where we could play an important role in the future. And um, I very much hope through the focus on this area of the strategy that we will. But uh, more particularly, when there are other changes coming up, that we're kind of, number one, at the forefront of influencing those changes so that by the time the regulator or government or others hand them on, um, that they have a, they're, they're handed on uh, with a good understanding of what the practical implications of um, implementing them and working to them are, and in a way that we can provide 
packages of support and help and guidance and advocacy that, um, you know, helps members be ahead of the curve in responding to what inevitably will be a period of change over the next five or 10 years in the, in the whole regulatory and compliance landscape. Well, I mean, that's really interesting, isn't it? That point about efficacy and judging success. So you you talked about consumer duty there, Helen. And I suppose thinking about the other areas of policy that we will be involved in going forward, how should we be thinking about success then as an organisation in terms of sector thought leadership? I'll come to you first, Matt, and then we'll come to you, Helen. So how do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, so so I think um, one area obviously is is to, to to look at the public first. It's public confidence that that we're that we're aiming at, uh, and and not necessarily, you know, in terms of of, of just sort of um, one off percentage scores. You know, asking people to rate something one to five. You know, but but actually really looking at the at the consumer experience and how that that develops uh, over time, and in particular in in relation to to, to key. Um, issues and, and, and key concerns. So, so where we see people, public opinion, for example, changing over the idea of renewal premiums, and and then it doesn't not just our, our research that that points to that, but also the way in which it's it's received and reported um, across the way the subjects received and reported right across the the, the media, um, TV and press media, as, as well as obviously the, the trade media that looks at things in a little bit more detail. Um, but so those those are really key areas. Um, but I think also in terms of, um, as Helen said, in terms of member experience um, and what members are telling us in terms of what they want and, and what they need. And uh, and I guess one 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 piece that 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 our colleagues uh, with us are, are, are really trying to crack is this element of um looking at things that are happening in the public space and obviously participating uh as we do in the in in the public space but also looking at how that can feed into the kind of services and support that we give to members um for example the kind of cpd that we we provide to members or the or the, or the kind of um guidance and support and kind of access to to other professionals and to and to peer groups so really having a, a kind of soup to nuts um, approach where we don't just identify the issues and engage and talk about the issues but where the, the kind of goods and services that members um, receive from the CII on a on a daily basis are, are enhanced and improved by by those insights. I mean, yes, I mean, there's so many different dimensions to this that we could really get stuck into. And, and Helen, from your perspective. For me, it's really important that we don't measure inputs or outputs, but that we measure outcomes, you know, because a kind of unreconstructed way to do this will be to say, you know, we had X number of policy positions and we, you know, contributed to Y number of consultations. And, you know, you think, oh, well, so what? You know, what? What did that actually achieve? So I would like probably a refreshed set of metrics to measure public trust and confidence, because while the public trust index is important, I'm not sure it's carrying the credibility with members um, or, or indeed consumers that would actually be making a difference in terms of their propensity to choose either a chartered individual or a corporate chartered company. So I think we're going to have to get some measure of that that um, is really driving the behaviour in such a way that consumers are making the right choice 
for them that gives them quality advice and, uh, you know, appropriate access to redress on a small number of occasions when things can go wrong. The other big outcome measures for me will be getting some measures around unmet need. So whether that's people who are not insured or who are underinsured or people who are not accessing financial advice, particularly where it's merely they think they can't afford it or they don't know how to go about it. I think that that will be, you know, it's important that we kind of shift the dial on that. And needless to say, we're not going to be able to measure that every month, you know, which will take uh, months and years to affect. But I think, you know, we need to be really keeping our eye on that longer term prize. The last one I give you really is about regulatory change. I'd really like that, you know, when there are any changes announced in terms of regulation, that we have been so involved in supporting and helping government and regulators and making them, that we will be able to say that we think, you know, whilst we may not necessarily be welcoming more regulation, that we could say that we can understand how that particular change is designed to to create consumer benefit and to avoid consumer detriment. And as such, um, you know, that uh, we have confidence in our ability to respond to the required change and that we will be able to explain to consumers, not just our members, um, how it is their interests are being addressed. Yeah, they, they'd be the three ones for me, I think. Well, that sounds like a fantastic point on which to end. Thank you so much, Helen. And thank you also, Pat. So it was lovely speaking to you both today. We're covering off each of the six themes from the CII's strategic plan in separate podcasts. So this is the third of the episodes thus far. We've got three to come. You can hear the previous episodes on CII Radio now and do join me for the next edition. Thank you for listening to this episode of CII Radio. To find out more, visit thejournal.cii.co.uk slash podcasts or follow us on Twitter at CII Group. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.